0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight are my increasingly regular, regular panelists, Dr. Bruce Garrick and Julian Murdoch. Welcome back, guys.
1: Yay! Oh my god, oh my god, it's never over for Hova, oh my god.
2: (laughs) Good lord. And here here I was going to say I've missed recording with you, Bruce, and now I'm not so sure.
1: (laughs) I thought we were talking about Kanye and Hova. I mean, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I mean, that's the most important thing in my world right now. I'm glad we're all in
0: our best behavior, because uh, tonight we are joined by our friend Soren Johnson, lead designer of Civ 4 Soren, welcome back to the show. Hey guys, it's great to be here. So our topic tonight comes from Soren. Actually, we're going to be discussing um, we're going to be discussing smaller strategy games, smaller scale strategy games, uh, smaller projects, and sort of comparing that with the. Not to, say, not to say necessarily old model, but sort of what we all think of as PC strategy games, big, sprawling, strategic epics. Uh, Soren, you want to talk a little bit about uh, what brought this topic to mind? Yeah, well, for, for me, I've really become enamored recently
3: by uh, the fact that there is sort of this kind of new type of strategy com- game coming out, which has a much smaller scope than what we're used to. Um, and, you know, these would be games, you know, sort of like um, Toy Soldiers... Uh, Horde, uh, Dungeons of Dreadmore, uh, Defcon, Adam Zombie Smasher, you know, things like this. Games that are, you know, they usually, it's usually sold somewhere between, you know, 10 and $20. Um, and it's something where, you know, it's not, it's not this major production, you know, there probably isn't some, you know, huge backstory and giant campaign, and it, it doesn't come with, you know, a huge suite of, of editors and, um, you know, high production values um and but beyond that it also the the gameplay itself is not kind of overflowing with with stuff you know uh, hundreds of units and uh, tons of features and all these things to to manage usually it's um something that where the gameplay itself is fairly streamlined you can often explain it to someone uh, fairly simply um and you know usually you also can feel like within half an hour you're already playing the game as opposed to, you know, a lot of strategy games where you feel like, you know, really it's going to take a good three or four hours before I even get to the point um, where I begin having the fun, you know, which is when you start, (laughs) you know, learning the system, you know, uh, you know, you look at a game like Swords and Soldiers, which I think is like, one perhaps the best example of a game at at this scope, Um, you know, it's just it's just simply an RTS that's played along a, a line. You know, that's that's it basically. Uh, you know, it has a lot of these elements that are familiar from RTSs, but um, you know, everything's just so pared down and simple. You know, there's usually five or six uh, unit types and you know, five or six special abilities, and uh, you know, combat happens all along. You know, kind of this this one straight line. So it's it's almost impossible to get lost somewhere on the map and not notice what's going on. Um, And, you know, I think that that takes the RTS formula and makes it, you know, potentially accessible to a much greater audience, which I think is cool.
2: The thing that the thing that I like about this so much is that it gives designers an opportunity to kind of just express the one good idea they had. You know, I think a lot of big games that fail fail largely because they had one good idea but then needed to justify a $60 price tag so they started bolting on, you know, extra art or extra levels or extra sound design or oh we need to have a third faction when they really only had an idea for two or or whatever right they get they get out of control and you know something like Swords and Soldiers sort of had one cool idea and, and kind of went with it. And they didn't have to do much more than that because they weren't trying to make a $60 game. You know, the game that um, that I have played on the iPad a lot lately is Anomaly, which is sort of a reverse tower defense where you're actually playing the swarm. Uh, for most of the game, you're playing the swarm and, and the towers are trying to kill you. And, you know, it doesn't need much more than that. They explore all the sort of interesting strategic angles of that shtick. And it's awesome.
3: And that game, there would have been almost no way... And part of this is like a business discussion because there would be almost no way for that game to exist five to ten years ago. You know, because how... You know, clearly you couldn't sell that game for $50. It is is a very good game, and, like, it flows just so naturally from, you know, the tower defense genre. So, you know, I'm very glad it was made, but how would that game have been made before something like Steam? Yeah, that's a great
1: point. We really need to bring that up, is that uh, the whole idea of selling a game... With limited scope, that is consumable and then disposable essentially, uh, is really sort of a, a function of technology. I think that's a great point there by Soren.
2: Well, but I think it's also uh, it's it's a it's a matter of having a business model that lets you lower the price point, right? I mean, there's nothing inherently uh, limited or inferior about, say, a deck of cards and and a rule book, right? I mean, that's very cheap. You can get them for five bucks, and you can play all sorts of different games with it. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's just that the the big box selling system wouldn't really justify. Taking up the shelf space for lots of different varieties of single decks of cards, right? That's why you have to go to a game store to get twelve different kinds of decks of cards. And and that's what's so cool about this is there are so many different ways to buy something for ten bucks now.
1: Well, I mean, you couldn't. I mean, it, your distribution model and your your production model wouldn't support you uh, putting exactly like you said putting that stuff on a game store shelf, right? Uh, for nine ninety five.
3: Yeah, I mean, it really is a a system,
1: and I mean, I've I've sat in
3: on pitch meetings where you know we try to you know present a strategy game, and because it needs to sell for fifty or sixty dollars, it needs to sell you know a couple million units, and I mean, it almost it almost has to have a five million plus ten million plus budget, you know, like if if you can't even come up with a reason for that big of a budget, which seems crazy, there's there's no reason to make the game.
0: Just I want to revisit something you said a moment ago, Julian about games having one good idea and how a lot of these smaller games are able to sort of focus on their one good idea and not maybe expand beyond the scope of their originality uh, so did you have any did you have any games in mind uh, as examples of, of each phenomenon like games that have you know, run out of inspiration and just tried to justify a higher price tag and any games that really wisely stick to their one neat mechanic or gimmick
2: I, I mean, I would say half of all AAA titles have one good idea. And, and you know, I, I, any game I pick, somebody's going to be like, but that's my favorite game ever, right? So it doesn't matter. But, you know, lot, I play a ton of first-person shooters that have one cool new mechanic or one cool genre idea, but then everything else is very much the same and the game just sort of gets artificially long, right? I mean, how many how many 40-hour first-person story shooters does the world actually need right well how many how many of
1: them we can discuss on this podcast this being a strategy (laughs) game podcast exactly
2: um but but i would i would actually argue that that i mean you know with all due respect even something like civ 5 did a bunch of really interesting new things but i didn't get a whole lot out of the sort of constant stream of dlc and new civilizations to play and I, I sort of felt like, in some ways, that game lacked the staying power, uh, I think largely because of the lack of modders behind it that Civ Four did, um, because it sort of had its couple of new new changes, a couple of new things that it did, and then just sort of had to absorb all the rest of the stuff that goes along with the Civilization franchise.
0: Well, that puts me in mind of, you know, I mean, Civ Five is the fifth iteration on the series, and do you do you see sequel... Uh, sequelization being as prominent in these in the smaller strategy game sphere. I hope not. I mean,
3: I, I hope I hope not. I mean, I think one of the issues going on here is that the fifty sixty dollar games that work. I mean, to get there, you know, you kind of have to be this this long process to even get to this point where it's this franchise that has you know grown over time and you just you know justifies that that. Price and also justifies all the features that go with it. You know, when you look at games like you know your StarCrafts or your Civ or your Total War, I mean, you know all the stuff that goes into that game, and it makes sense that they can keep making games at that level. But for something new, I think it would be completely a mistake to try to, you know, aim for aim for that level. But because what's the right way to put this? because you're not having to make a $50, 60 game, you don't have to be tied to one of these sort of creaky battleships. Anymore. But doesn't
1: it make it that much easier? I mean, you can make toy soldiers, and they can make toy soldiers Cold War, right? You can make toy soldiers uh, Vietnam. You can make toy soldiers, you know, 30 Years' War or War of the Roses or, you know, War in My Backyard or whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, you just right. you, you reskin it, right? And, and and put some new rules in. So I, I'm not sure why that makes it so... well.
2: I, I think that uh, toy soldiers to me was kind of a case in point here because this game could have the the new one toy soldiers cold war could have sucked for just that reason right if it had just been effectively a reskin and a map pack uh, okay. I think a lot of people would have kind of been like oh really I just paid ten or fifteen bucks for that piece of crap I already I played toy or, soldiers it's all the way 10 through ten or
1: fifteen bucks that's the whole point right well yeah right? a it's I ten mean, or fifteen bucks but I just had dinner these... It cost me thirty bucks so
2: <laughs> I mean. but but. The thing that's so interesting is that that's a case where I sort of feel like they're taking their $10 game and through this new iteration, they're starting to build it out into a $50 game, right? The kinds of things that they've added are the kinds of things that, frankly, a lot of AAA games get wrong, right? Really good couch co-op, really good online play, really good score chase stuff that works on the internet perfectly, right? That's stuff that eludes a lot of AAA titles, and they've really focused their development effort on stuff that many other people would probably try to bolt into the first release of their game badly. So, but do, it's, you, it's, do you think
1: it's, that's easier to do with something, Soren? Is that, I mean, as a designer, is that something that's, that uh, you know, in a, in a more focused game that you can sort of, you know, exactly how all your pieces are going to fit into exactly all the things that Julian said?
3: Well, I think when you're a small scale game, it's important that everything that you try to do, you do just perfectly at a very high quality level. Right? And that's that's kind of the advantage is that you're choosing all these things you don't have to do, um, and you know I think it it makes sense why you know like, kind of like these small games get this this advantage that they can you know almost hit hit a quality bar level higher than AAA games because you know when you make a game like Civ you, you know it's not just you can't you have to have you know a single player game and you have to have a multiplayer game and you have to have uh, modding tools, you know, and you have to have you know a DLC plan. Um, you you need some sort of you know tutorial system. You maybe you need some scenarios. You know, it just it just the list kind of just goes on beyond like all the production stuff and having to deal with you know cinematics and the soundtrack and you know. all just hope, and we, you know, we're that with this, you know, Civ isn't even a game that's um, has to be burdened with all the story uh, line issues that you know a lot of AAA RTSs have to deal with, uh, which is another whole headache. Um, so, you know, generally speaking, the leadership, you know, the lead designer uh, of a game can only deal with so many of these things before um, you know their talents start to get really diluted. Whereas with a game with such a smaller scope, you know the the lead who you know you assume is you know a talented designer can really put the sort of laser-like focus on the you know two or three things that these smaller games are trying to do really well.
1: Well, can I can I just bring up a point that it kind of I was thinking about when we sort of decided on this topic is that uh, the whole idea of scope. I mean, it means it means a couple different things to me, and uh, as a strategy gamer, I feel that you know. Limited scope is is almost always bad, but that doesn't mean simplicity is is bad. And I think that one of the things that uh, was brought up was the game Defcon, which in terms of mechanics has a has a very small scope in the sense that we're using it in this discussion. But I think as a sort of as a general work of uh, whatever it's a creation, uh, it, it's it's a terribly large scope, and that's something that is part of the. Art design and the sound design and this the whole kind of um, you know it, it's a very, it's kind of a big world that's in this very simple game and so I, I want to make sure that we we kind of address that because I think that it's a it's a really difficult thing but a beautiful thing when you can take uh, a, a bunch of simple rules and make this sort of. Big or imply a big world, and I mean that's something that that you can do in literature, which is that you have sort of this parochial story, but then you evoke all sorts of universal themes, and you can do that in uh, in simple games uh, and make them seem bigger than they are, and and so I want to make sure that. Uh, I mean, for me as a strategy gamer, I mean, it's all about imagination, and it's all about sort of imagining things that are bigger, or things that are sort of imply. You can imply things in a game that don't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily directly treated, but uh, it just makes the game seem bigger. So uh, there, we have this whole list of games, and just for the audience, we were we were uh, you know batting games back and forth, and and Soren came up with a great list of you know all these games that were sort of small games, but I think within them there are. Uh, there's a subset that are, that are small games because they're just small games, limited scope games and they're games that are small games that have a, have a sort of a breadth and a, and a, and a, and a world creation that, that uh, I really appreciate m- uh, more than some of the others.
3: Well, that's kind, of, that's kind of the magic of games. I mean, you can take you know, a very small rule set and you know, the thematic scope can be very large. Um, when I talk about small scope games I'm really thinking about just how many moving parts there are. Okay. You know, how many? How many unit types? How many rules? How many mechanics? Yeah, it's Um enough. And to some extent, the production values. Uh, I mean, CON is really brilliant because it's it's a beautiful game and it has no art. It makes it makes, a, it, makes
2: a, it makes an asset out of its lack of budget for doing whiz bangy things, right? I mean, that's right. the introversion model.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, which is really brilliant, and and then you know the the Defcon ex- example actually actually makes me think back to uh, Bruce's original question about sequels, and this is actually I think one of the potential drawbacks of small scope games is when you're a lo- when you're a large scope game, you know when you when you plant you know your flag in the ground, you know we're going to be you know this major RTS, um, then you know just sort of naturally you know Supreme Commander one begets Supreme Commander two, right? right. Um, but where is Defcon two? You know, where is Moonbase Commander Two? You know, um, you know these are these great smaller scope, scope games, which in time I think are just going to get forgotten. Right, but do because... they need
2: do they need it to? I mean, that's that's sort of my thing. Is like I wouldn't want to touch Defcon. To me, it's like so perfectly wrapped up with a bow. I'd almost be nervous if I heard but, they were making a sequel. But, it,
0: but it's wrapped up with a bow in your memory, right? I mean, is that isn't that the issue? Like, hasn't anyone
1: played it recently online? What's I mean? But I, I don't get that whole thing. This is the this is the thing. This is why gaming is such an immature Im- immature medium because the idea that because somebody's not playing it today or playing it last week that it's somehow completely irrelevant and forgotten is ridiculous. And gaming has such a such a small uh you know such a such a short memory. Uh, I, uh, why is that? I mean, is it because uh, the the um, sort of entry level age for. The age entry level for games is is young enough where people really don't have memories. there a sort of does gaming need to develop an institutional memory? I I mean that's really weird because the the Defcon is a fantastic game and I, I don't think that anything about it. I mean you would never say wow you know uh Faulkner never wrote uh you know Sound and the Fury too. So I mean I can't <laughs> believe anybody's re, you know I mean that books are <laughs> I mean it's stupid. I mean why we you know I I, I I don't understand that that that's a bizarre concept to me. I mean, Def Con can exist on its own. I mean, it doesn't need a sequel. I
3: just think it's unfortunate that there isn't one because I think there's a lot of uh, gamers today who maybe just weren't paying attention back when it came out, right? And and certainly, you know, there, it's hard to imagine that there isn't something that they could do to uh, improve the game. And and, and you know, they can't, they might end up screwing it up. They might say, "Well, we need you know double the number of units, and we need all these new elements." Um, and that may, you know, kind of ruin the formula. But there's there's other ways to improve the game. Maybe other ways of, of getting people to play the game together.
1: You, you know, but that is that improving to... it? I mean, is that I mean, I'm serious. Is that is that really improving it? I mean, d- should should Faulkner have gone back and just re-edited Sound of the Fury* and and re-released it? I mean, but, I, I'm not I'm, tr- I'm not trying to be a, a you know facetious or a jerk. Yeah, but I, games
3: games are activities, right? And
1: um, so why can't people who haven't played it play it? You know, play it now. Does well, it have I mean, to be better?
0: I will I'll just say this. I mean, it's it's if a game is if a game is sort of forgotten or pe- people just aren't playing it today, it's much harder for you to experience it in any meaningful sense. I came, for instance, I came to MultiWinia late, uh, which is another you know good introversion game. It's a fun, simple RTS. And when I loaded up to you know play play multiplayer, which is really the entire point of that game. Like I don't think Multiwinia exists in a meaningful sense as a solo activity, and you know, I, I show up, it's, it's kind of a ghost town. So then the onus is on me to sort of, you know, organize, organize make, a group to make play a with. game
2: night. But, but why is that any different than getting a group of people together to play Settlers of Catan, a game that's been out for years? I agree. 10 years, I agree with Julie. Right? So the thing that but my, my answer to Bruce here is actually that the reason we historically have that problem is because. You know, platforms abandon gamers, not the other way around, right? You can't play your NES cartridges unless you have some old retro game cart, you know, sitting in the corner that you can make sure still works. That's largely going away because we have this sort of system now where good classic games keep getting reported onto whatever the new platform is, right? You can play Tempest on 47,000 yeah. different platforms now. That's a good thing, and it means hopefully that a game like DEF CON will have multiple lives over time.
1: But that doesn't that doesn't address Soren's, Soren's point, which is that DEF CON can somehow be improved. There's well, an you know, assumption it doesn't, that, that it's not... It doesn't not necessarily
3: has- need to be a huge improvement. I, I mean, I think they're perhaps just missing the opportunity to... Um, you know, push push it forward, make it something—not uh, <clears throat> necessarily making it a franchise—but let me compare it to something. Uh, compare it to a game like Worms or Bomberman. You know, games like this, which are games on a smaller scale, and okay. the people who make these games have made a point to basically bring these games forward to every platform, every new generation that comes out, right? So, you know, even though these, even though the, even though these were smaller-scale games, you know, they haven't been forgotten. Right, okay. they're still they're still somewhat relevant, right? And so it's okay if they if um, I mean introversion has limited resources, but uh, you know if introversion decides to kind of leave DefCon behind as this beautiful little gem, you know that's okay. I'm just saying, you know, it would be kind of a shame because I think there's still a lot of people who haven't experienced the game.
1: I, and I, I don't understand why they couldn't just experience the game as DefCon.
3: Yeah, well, we're getting closer to that point, right? I mean, it's, it's available on Steam. I'm sure it still sells. It'd be interesting to know, like, how much it sells each month. You
1: know, well, right? I, think, I think
0: it sells like Gangbusters uh, every holiday sale, because uh, usually Introversion is sort of writing a year-end wrap-up uh, in January, and the Steam sales usually feature prominently, and DEF always a big selling point there. Uh, so it's kind of an evergreen that, I mean, I think they've right. explicitly said in a lot of ways, like, DEF CON has kept the company afloat at times in their history. Uh, even it, though, even though it's some years back now,
1: is this about games though being a being a, a medium that's enjoyed kind of like movies, where it's it's kind of a lot more fun to see the movie if a lot of your friends have seen the movie, and so if you see it by yourself, yeah, I'd uh, say that's even
3: more true of games than is of movies. Yeah, I mean,
1: does, right, right. So I just, I'm mean, just, yeah, exactly. So I'm just throwing right, that out there because uh, I just, I don't understand if we really think games are the serious thing that that have to. Or can be appreciated just for them as their own creation. Then they should. You should be able to make a game and you play it, and then you think. You you, you tell somebody else, hey, this is a fantastic game, and then you know, even if not everybody in the world is playing it and posting it to whatever forums about this and that and other strategies, you can still play the game and, and appreciate it for what it, for what that other person experienced is. You
0: know, you know, it's odd when I see that happening. It's usually in a very sort of self-conscious. Um you know, like Gamers with Jobs does sort of, what? what is it, like Throwback Night or, or something, Julian? Um, yeah,
2: we do Retro Nights, yeah.
0: Right, where it's all like, let's go back and, and play this classic, which is great. But when I compare it to the way, like, I, my relationship with my, you know, growing board game collection, for instance, you know, there's, I guess perhaps it's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind idea, idea here, where, you know, if, if I go over to my board game shelf, and whoever, whoever is in my apartment with me, you know, we look at it, and what do we want to play? And, you know, none of these games really feel old, right? Like, there's some... some oh, some do.
1: Oh, I disagree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but... Well,
1: Fortress set, America! <laughs>
0: <laughs> setting aside quality, but you, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know the games in your collection you like, and it doesn't really matter, you know, how old they are. You're, you're just as happy bringing them out. With, with, with video games, there, there seems to be some sort of qualitative difference. Just perhaps there, there has to be more intent... Uh, and, and most of us don't. It's a recreational activity. Most of us, I, I don't think, organize our recreation. Rec, organize our recreation that much. Uh, you know, that's a, this is this is me spitballing here. But I, but I think that's part of it. Like you know, my board game collection. If I have the game, there's good chance it's going to you know come out and it's going to get set up and we're going to play it. With video games, I don't quite have that same confidence that once a game is uninstalled, it's going to be brought out when. I you know when I have a hankering for it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I I and this is, we may be getting way off topic here, and get get back to the whole idea of games at scope. But I got a couple of things to say. One is that uh, I I don't want to compare game video games to board games in this context. If we're really people are really serious about games as art, and God, I hate this whole argument, is that if I'm going to go and pick you know I don't know Ismail Kadare off my bookshelf and read him now versus 1985 versus whatever he wrote, you know, whenever, and some game, you have to have some appreciation of the thing that existed at the time that it was written. Second thing uh, is that uh, uh, right now I'm actually playing a game, and I'm writing a bunch of articles about it, and God knows if I'll ever finish, um, but uh, the game is from 1999, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's As good or better than pretty, or I'm anyway, I'm more inclined to play it than I am to play almost anything from 2011, so there's that. But I can't tell you what game that is, so anyway, (laughs) tease you. Oh, you'll find out. Oh, you'll find out, buddy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, organization is always a challenge. I mean, board games, you know, have one platform, right? Your kitchen table, right? And um, so if Platforms are constantly changing, and you know the games are cycling through. I mean, how do you organize people for video games? You don't. It's just people naturally are playing. People naturally play a game, you know, one to two months after it comes out, and then they move move on. So, you know, if you're if you're looking to play a game where it's just kind of casual multiplayer, where you just go play the game and you just randomly look for people online, um, you know, then if those games don't keep popping back up again, you know, you'll you'll kind of start to miss out.
0: So, do you think that do you think the smaller model Addresses this in any sense because we start we started this with, with with sequels, but but I'm curious do you, do you think that these that the smaller model loves, and and I'm sorry to bring board games back into it, Bruce, but I I often see similarities in sort of the development you know in sort of the relationship between
1: board games and and. Uh, you know, computer games, and it just seems right now like. Oh, I don't don't apologize. I mean, you're, I think it's a perfectly appropriate. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. I think it's a perfectly appropriate comparison. So yes, we should do that. I'm I'm talking about the 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 idea of games as art. It, it you can't really compare where they stand in relation to board games as art, but that that's fine. Go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. Well, right. Uh,
0: but so so what, I, what? Sort of what I've what I've seen in this in in the last year, and I, I know we've I, we've talked about this uh before, but what I've seen in the last couple of years is. Strategy games on the PC, on 360, uh, you know, on all these different formats, really. Uh, the iOS devices, uh, the, the, the the genre increasingly sor- resembles, uh, you know, the sort of variety you find in a board gaming hobby shop. Uh, in in a way, it didn't used to. You know, just just five or just five or six years ago, it seemed like you you really had your choice of RTSs or turn-based strategic epics, and now we've got. You know, again, these, these smaller, quick-entry, uh, easy-access uh, games we can play, and a lot of them to play with other people. Th- Do you think, think that's, that's go going to lead us away a bit from this, um, I guess, sort of herd instinct? You know, what, what's new now? Let's, you know, what are we all playing this week, and then six months from now, we're looking toward the next major release from Paradox or, or Axis?
1: Well, I think that <laughs> there are a couple things there. Number one is that I think the game, the nature of the, the demographic of gaming will always be such that uh, people are very interested in what other people are playing and are going to want to play that thing. Okay? Um, the other thing is that... Uh, so so that's never going to go away. But uh, I, I, I played Horde. Okay? I bought it and I played it. It was on sale 50% off. And... Is that a strategy game? It's a it's a board
2: game, really.
1: Yeah, I mean it is, but it's also I mean that it's it's a total. Uh, you know, I had to I had to learn. You know, remember my WASD or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> well, it's an okay. action strategy game, like yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: Diablo being an action RPG, right?
1: Right. So, and it is, I mean, so I think there's a lot of genre um, genre blurring here with, with at least the list that we had, but uh, you know. I, I don't know that, that uh, people are going to become any less focused on. I think that's just an and I was going to answer my own question, because when I asked it before, I knew the answer. I think that people are always extremely focused on what each other are doing. And as Soren pointed out, it's even more than so than movies. They, you know, they if, uh, you know, this game is the more, uh, some some game people want to play it uh, and and hear about other people playing it. I think the marketing can get more fragmented because as you have uh, a, a sort of a broader distribution channel, there's going to be. Uh, more choices, and you're going to sort of have to decide: Am I going to play this game, or am I going to play that game? Uh, and I, it, it's going to become like kind of like uh, cable television, where everybody uh, sort of fragments off into the little specialty channels.
3: Yeah. And I, I hate to put it this way, but also if everyone keeps playing the same old great games, the industry will die. You know, I mean, you got to, yeah, people have to forward. buy
2: new things. Yeah.
3: Right, right. But, I mean, to to me, what's really cool about the small scale games is, you know, about four or five years ago. Uh, one of the things I would always complain about is that to me, the RTS genre was, in a sense, dead, right? There were still a lot of great RTSs coming out, a very high quality, very highly polished, but to some extent, they were all basically the same game. You know, they were all some variation of StarCraft or Age of Empires or Command and Conquer. And, How long ago know, was this? I mean, about four or five years ago, I'd say. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, they all follow the same formula of you know, start, you know, have some peons. Grab some resources, build your barracks, make some tanks, go attack the other guy, right? Um, okay. And, but to me, an RTS could mean so many different things. It's just, you know, literally a real time, you know, strategy game that's played in real time, which the big advantages of that is you can play it, you can play a great game multiplayer because you're not, you know, waiting for the other player to, to take their action. Um, but nowadays, you know, you know, I kinda look through say that list we were we were going over earlier and I see you know Adam's Zambi- Zombie Smasher, I see Anomaly, uh Defense Grid, Galcon, you know, hegemony, Horde, Age of Booty, Swords and Soldiers, um Toy Soldiers. These are all in some senses RTSs, and they're all you know very unique, different, innovative, um, you know, very unlike uh that sort of standard command and conquer model.
1: Right. Adam Zombie Smasher is a great example. I mean, it's a it's an RTS, but it's a it's it's sort of almost the quintessential strategy game. I mean, there's so much optimization and and replaying and and changing your parameters and that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with that. Um, by the way, more Adam Zombie Smasher. What do I have? Is it Adam Zombie Smasher two? <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, let me let me ask you guys a question.
3: Um, I'm kind of kind of curious, like what the you know how these small scale games sort of fit into uh, your playing. Like, when is it because um, we have there's kind of two sides of the coin here. It's not just the small scale games. We have to talk about what's the value and you know how much we still like these large scope games. Um, like, when do you want to sit down and say I'm going to play uh, Frozen Synapse, and when do you sit down and say you know what I want to start this giant game of EU3? You know, like what, what, which do you prefer?
2: Well, I really, I think it's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of the, the sort of growth of these smaller scale games, particularly like multiplayer asynchronous games where I can either play them, you know, you know, occasionally when I get to my computer or they, a little thing pops up on my iPhone and I can take a turn in a game it's simply expanded the amount of gaming I can do in my life, right? As I've gotten older and I have kids and I have responsibilities, I just don't – the number of evenings I can sit down and play for five hours to really, like, grind through some awesome Civ turns or something like that, it just it gets rarer and rarer. So this is sort of rescued gaming for me, particularly strategy gaming. Um, and, and I think that the the multiplayer component for me – Doing these kind of asynchronous turn-based stuff—that's been the major revelation. I mean, there's a there's a strategy card game, if you want to call it that, on the iOS system called Ascension, um, which is a pretty straightforward game. Um, and it's it's not the best game in the world when you play in person, but as an asynchronous card game, it's brilliant because there's no interrupting, right? But it's still very strategic. It doesn't feel like Solitaire because you're trying to keep track of what your opponent's doing and you're trying to sort of optimize your own little deck-building engine, right? It's sort of a Dominion knockoff. and And those kinds of things just have completely expanded the amount of time in my day that I can play games because time I might have spent before... Uh, you know, I don't know thinking sitting on a bus thoughtfully in peace, I'm now playing games
1: <laughs> right how about you yeah. Rob I, I know my answer, but I, Rob hasn't answered the questions I want to give him a chance well i mean the answer the answer is complicated uh for for me
0: because I have to review a lot of these big sprawling strategy games i will I will admit that outside of my review period uh a lot of these games are still on my hard drive, and I fully intend to go back to them, but the the time since I last played, you know, grows ever more. I've got like two or three uh, abandoned games of War in the East. I've got, you know, abandoned games of uh, Pride of Nations. These are these are all these are games I liked. I liked a, liked a great deal, uh, but they require they require a couple different kinds of investment. I find, and and it does become difficult to uh, to fit in, especially because. We, we have this, you know, we have this embarrassment of riches when it comes to options and how we spend our gaming time. And so, what, what I find when I look at these is I do get frustrated, I have a lot of frustrations with the big, sprawling strategic epic. I think a lot of them don't present information well, don't teach themselves well, but I find the biggest obstacle I have to, to seeing them through is you know, I not only do they require a, a large investment of time to get through a campaign, but you kind of have to keep playing them and not not take breaks from it because if you do, when you come back to it, it's this completely strange map and you have no idea what you were doing. And then you kind of have to re you know relearn relearn the game, try to figure out what you know you three months ago were were, were planning on doing. And a lot of times it's very easy at that point to to completely bail on the experience. So I you know I, I find that th- there are a lot of these games I like in principle. But they also a lot of them end up in this sort of nebulous, half-finished state where, oh, I, you know, I I know I like these games, and yet somehow I never find myself firing them up. You have to kind of, kind of you have to kind of marry them to
3: make it work, you know. And I think that's hard when there's so many good, other interesting games out there.
1: Yeah, I I, I have to say, I guess I'm the anomaly in this. I don't really find that I'm looking for time to fill with playing games. Like, I don't think, oh, wow, I have 30 minutes. I should play a game. I usually think, wow, I have 30 minutes. Holy crap, I can take a nap. But um, I really enjoy, and and I think I I miss out a little bit. For me, the scope of the game, in terms of the scope that we were discussing earlier, not the the limited game rules, um, really makes a difference. And I would rather fire up a game that has a big... Intellectual or 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 sort of strategic scope, fiddle around with that for five or ten minutes, and and sort of touch it and 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 be in it and 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 experience it, and then quit. Then play some limited scope game, and you know, get to the next level in Horde or whatever. And I played Horde, and I, and I think it's a, I, it's a fantastic idea. It, it's it's uh, it's not a criticism of that game at all. Uh, it's kind of the way I play games I would prefer to have a game uh, I think Tom chick once said that you know he just can't play one game at a time and I can only play one game at a time Um, I really kinda wanna play that game and I wanna break it down into uh, see how it works see what doesn't work about it uh, kinda put it through its paces and then be done but if I uh, at the same time I wanna experience the uh, sort of big imaginative space that it creates and I would rather do that on a you know daily, weekly basis. And, and 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 you guys are right that you know you come back to it and you're like, oh gosh, you know what was this unit doing again? And what, what was that? What was my production plan? But if you if you just touch base with it a couple you know every couple days and keep it in your mind and don't really progress, I find that as satisfying as 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 you know playing a hundred games of some uh, tower defense thing, which I really don't find compelling in any way. Hmm. There you go sorry
2: <laughs> No, it's okay it's just I, I find myself in the exact opposite position which is I, I I just face that wall of what the hell was I doing every time I go back to some big RTS that I haven't played in a week
1: yeah but I mean for me a lot of the time the game isn't really the thing that I'm really after the game is just a connection to some other thing that I'm doing um, and which is why I, I mostly play historical games because I you know if I'm Playing a game about the Crusades—it's not so much. It, it's not all about the gameplay. It's just sort of like I'm like, hey, you know, is, is it the touching kind
0: of, history? Yeah, there?
1: is there some kind of Crusades thing that I can do right now? I mean, I can't really go invade Jerusalem. So what could I do? I could play a game about the Crusades. I could read a book. I could go <laughs> read. You know, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's just it's 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 part of a different process. Uh, and I'm not necessarily going to play you know a game about plants and zombies unless I'm some sort of botanist.
0: <laughs> See, I think. You know what's changed for me, I guess, is uh, p- part of this. I think is because I've started playing so many more board games. I think I used to be much more, I, I used to, I it used to be much, much more positive, uh, much more accepting of of long form strategy games, because it didn't really matter to me if I could. Sort of hold hold the whole game in my head and see how the early game you know links up with mid game development and then an end game, and now increasingly I find myself I want I want to have these sort of self contained experiences in part because they're just it's satisfying to be able to play a complete round of something you know in an hour or two that's you know I I enjoy I enjoy that.
1: I agree. I mean, but, the, the,
0: yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, but the but the other part of that is also, a lot of times when I when I reach the end of sort of a grand campaign. Uh, in the in these longer strategy games, by the time I've reached the end, I've completely forgotten a lot of a, a lot of what's transpired to get me there. So oh, the, the experience the, sort of self erases.
1: Yeah, see that I spend. I mean, I think I spend so much time just doing the first turn in the most. I mean, I I just remember getting uh, sitting down when I was a kid. Uh, I would get uh, copies of the general, and they would have the uh, you know. Best first turn options for, you know, the Russian campaign and, you know, so-and-so defense broken by, you know, three Stukas in Hex J37. And so I would set it up and go, ooh, you know, boy, if you put that Stuka there, boy, that <laughs> sure blows that up. And, and uh, you know, and, and same thing, I think when I, you know, when I got War in the East, I was like, wow, what's the single best way to break down this defense on turn one? And I, I think, I, you know, I, I probably played the, the, the Minsk scenario. Where I was just trying to figure out—it's a three-turn scenario. I'm just just trying to find out where I need to put which guy at what point. You know, the perfect plan kind of thing. And 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 I definitely don't forget that in the grand campaign because that's once I get that down, then I go to the next scenario and then I get, you know put it all together and then I have everything as part of a sort of a part of a giant solution that I have. Um, so you know, I, everything everything is very fresh in my mind.
0: Well, yeah, for the for the first turn, but once Barbarossa is over, and now you're looking at 1943, you're gonna be able to make the connections between the start and the
1: end. Yeah, you save it, and then you play that turn like a hundred times. <laughs> well, it's, I think you it's actually I very... could not be
2: more different. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, well, I think it's very telling that you're talking about replaying stuff. You know, even even though even though you're attacking these these large you know, these. Really massive games, you're actually spending a lot of times doing the same thing over and over again. You're almost finding like a small game inside the large game.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, but and, but, the, uh, but the, that big context is crucial.
3: Sure. Yeah, and I understand that. And that's that has a number of different there's a number of different reasons why that's important to you. Uh, like you, you know, presumably you'd have very little interest in a large scale, you know, galactical conquest game, right? Because it doesn't touch anything that has a real context for you. Correct. Um, but to me, it's kind of a question of like, what do we mean when we say depth? You know, And to me, a game's depth can only ever come out if you've played it 10, 20 times, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I think a lot of la- these large-scale games, you know, we play them maybe twice because each playthrough might be 10 or 15 hours. Right. And at the end of it, does it have depth or not? We'll never know, really, because we're just choosing you know 20 you know we're making 20 choices from a, a a list of 100 options right and like how many times would we have to play that game before we get a sense of like you know how all these this huge list of options you know how it actually you know all fits together probably the designers do not actually know themselves right yeah. you know unless you can re- you know repeat a game that many times you're not going to find out you know, you're not really going to get to the, what I what I like to think of as the good stuff of the, with a strategy game, which is when you really feel like you understand all the dynamics, and you're now simply adapting to the environment, whether it's some random map or the cards you draw or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's to me when the game really takes off.
1: Yeah, well, but that's that's the I think that the, the counterpart to that is the, is is gaming is the strategy gaming in these large scale games. Gaming as an experience. Right, you just sort of play the game, and it sort of you sort of ride through. I mean, that's how I felt kind of the first few times I played Europa Universalis. Because I didn't really have any idea what the hell was going on, right. but you know, oh look, there's uh, you know some sort of interregnum, and there's you know the uh, uh, establishment of the Duchy of Warsaw, and, and you just sort of take this this ride through a bunch of events, and and just the experience of having these things happen uh, is entertainment for you. It's almost like being in a movie, but you're sort of playing all things. Um, so, I, and I think that that a lot of these large-scale games, uh, you know, with a lot of detail, people, the experience of the detail itself is 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 a very important part of the game experience for players. Um,
3: yeah. yeah, that kind of explains why I keep bouncing off the EU games. Like the EU games have always been very perplexing for me because it's a really a game that I should love. It's a game I should like. You know, I love strategy games. I love history. These games are very detailed um, and you know very well put together, very well thought through. Um, but you know, every time I start one, I just kind of end up petering out after an hour or two because I just I don't know what my what I don't know what difference my decisions are making. You know, I'm just making decisions just what to me feels to me arbitrarily. You know, and I don't I don't feel I don't really feel the weight of them. If you look at the EU games as you know an experience, I mean, then it's then it's just something totally different. You know, and maybe that's maybe that's just not what I'm looking for from strategy games.
0: Well, my my question to you then would be: is that is that a problem with with EU's scale, or the way it sort of teaches you itself?
3: Well, I think it's I think it's primarily a teaching problem. I mean, I I don't know if it is teachable. If the game mechanics they have are teachable, um, it could be that there's too many of them. It could be that they've done a poor job with the UI. Um, so I I don't know whether it's I don't know whether it's a solvable problem or not. Yeah, it still it still kind of perplexes me. I'd like to know because it, it still seems like the type of game I would really love. Um, but I, I have a feeling that the more that they you know the more history they try to put into the game, you know it just means more mechanics, more features, more options. Um, and at some point I think you kind of you know you pass you pass this point where anyone where anyone kind of fit you could. Describe the game easily where it can fit in your head. Um, and I think when you, once you pass that point, it's, it's too much for me personally as a gamer.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I sort of agree. I mean, my appetite for the biggest, most complex strategy games has definitely waned over the years. But boy, when I do have the time to really chew into one, it's really still so satisfying. And, and I don't know whether it's so much that I've changed as a gamer or simply my life has changed to make those things more difficult.
0: Do you do you find you know, it's not just it's not just a matter of scale and you don't need to make a huge game to make a satisfying strategy game, certainly. But do you find that the you know the type of challenge you face in a serious, deep Gregnardian war game or a sprawling strategic epic, do you find the type of the types of dilemmas you face in those are qualitatively different? Do you find they give you something that a smaller, you know, like a greed corp does not. Uh, a a new a new school Panzer General does not. I mean, to
3: me, to me, the issue is that I feel like most games, and that it just covers everything, you know, large scale and small scale, have generally like kind of like these one or two nuggets of a good idea at their core, you know, if they work. That the, the the game designer had, you know, they had this this idea, and this is why, you know, this is why they wanted to start making the game. And with a smaller scale game, you are just going to get to that nugget very quickly. You know, and you're going to be able to enjoy it. You're going to be able to chew it up and, you know, you know, have, have this you know cool experience where you're, you're engaging with their good idea. Um, and I just want to do that as often as possible. And I think that it's just harder to do with a large scale game.
2: Yeah, I, I think I agree. I mean, I, I think that the shock of the new still holds so much for me. And, and I would often rather play four or five games that are all doing one really cool, new, interesting thing. Than one giant Paula strategy
0: game. So recently, I had I had a weird experience with a combat mission battle for Normandy, uh, which we we talked about a couple weeks ago. And this was a game that didn't make a great first impression on me, uh, and, and so, but you know I I got over that. I put I put more time into it, and what it, what occurred to me is it, it does have that sort of. It's doing in a lot of ways. It's doing in a lot of ways the same sort of things that Frozen Synapse is doing in the way you sort of have to conceive of the turn, uh, conceive of the way the the actions are going to interrelate and anticipate enemy movements. It's it's a lot of the same things that make Frozen Synapse Synapse great. But what I find that the extras, what the extra scale adds in Battle for Normandy is just when you go from trying to anticipate and trying to you know, micromanage your men on that small, intimate, you know, four or five men squad scale. And then you take that up to the, you know, where you've got multiple, you know, armored and infantry companies, you know, moving around this huge map, and the battlefield has different sections. You've got to monitor all these, all these little places. When I get over the daunting scale of that challenge, what I, what I really sort of fall in love with, and this is, this is why I wish I had more time, for for the for the sprawling war game or strategic epic, when I go over the scale of that challenge, it's this completely different scale of of you know three-dimensional chess or mental gymnastics, where now I'm not just uh, you know I'm not just trying to anticipate the next 10 seconds and where this one guy is going to move, but I'm pr- trying to figure out how you know the motion of a artillery observer you know a kilometer this way is going to set up a successful attack you know with, with you know an infantry platoon you know a kilometer in the other direction and trying to see how all these things are going to play out and that's and that's what i miss about you know having more time for for, for these for these large scale games is that w- when they do it right it's it's not just that it's not that there's filler surrounding the good idea but that the good idea can be taken up to this higher scale and then create this this more i guess this this more rewarding and more challenging sort of game
1: why is that, though? That's the real question.
0: Well, I was kind of hoping you might have an idea about that, Bruce. Oh! <laughs>
1: Gotta be me, huh? No, I, I don't think that. And, and this is the thing, I, I, I wish I had been able to do the, uh, the Combat Mission podcast. I was disappointed that it didn't work out in my schedule. But um, I, I think that the thing that games like that really offer is, uh, is context and you know I've played frozen synapse and and it's a fun game And it but it really doesn't those little guys that are running around uh, are just these little guys and the combat mission squad that stood in the corner of whatever building in some uh, you know city map and basically blew up you know the six Stug threes that you know came rolling down the street, uh, you know, until they ran out of ammunition and they got crushed, but you know, kept my opponent from getting the victory, x, or victory, you know, victory location. Uh, that's that kind of context, uh, and that kind of personalization of the game is. Uh, I'm not sure why exactly, unless it's the historical context of it, uh, why exactly that makes why that's so personalized um, and it, it's also I, I can't fathom why battlefront doesn't just sit down and put all of their um, all the resources into making combat mission campaigns it's it's crazy to me it's completely nuts that thing they, they basically gave to some guy and this is and 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 uh... battlefront.com feel free to to send uh, nasty emails uh, saying that I have completely wrong, but my understanding was that they basically had the whole thing outsourced, and they just couldn't get it done. And I don't see why something like that, where you're you're giving all this personalization in in this amazing sort of potential space of contextualization, um, where you can have you know your 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 units that move along just like just like the the um, Panzer core kind of model, but in in a, in a much more uh, connected context. Uh, wh- I, I think everybody wants that, and uh, and and the reason that you're seeing that, um, why you know this this moving that artillery uh, spotter, uh, you just have more space. You have more place to imagine things. It, it's sort of you're creating this whole world. Gaming is all about imagination and creating worlds and uh the bigger the scope of the game the more room you have to do that so uh and then at the same time the more personalized you make the game uh the more connected the more uh, uh um, the more invested you become so i think that that's that's a thing that that these large scope games can do uniquely that can't be done they just it can't, it's not possible to do in these limited uh limited scope simple rules games um that you can play in an hour. I think that the, the, the investment that you uh, that you put into these these huge strategy games has a reward that's really unique and sort of singular uh, and can't be recreated no matter how clever you are with game mechanics.
0: As we wind down here, do you guys do you guys agree with that? Do you think that the that we do have to sort of choose between these sort of rich um, imaginative spaces and these and these stories that can unfold in sort of the larger strategy games? Uh do you do you think we have to choose between that and sort of the you know the the quick hit of the uh smaller scale strategy game? Uh I
2: don't I I think there's there's definitely room for both in the market and I know that there's room for both in my life so I to me it's just it just makes this a better time to be a strategy gamer than any time I can remember.
3: I mean to me there's sort of a historical thing going like a uh, the history of the of computer game thing going on here, which is that um, if you look back at actually, like say the original Civilization or the original SimCity, if you play those old games, those games almost are more like the smaller scale games that we've been talking about than they are kind of these these larger scope games that they kind of became if you compare SimCity 4 to the original or Civ 5 to the original. I mean, it's it's just this this huge difference. And that's sort of the just inevitable um, that's just what kind of inevitably happens to an idea if it's if it's good enough that people want more and more out of it. And uh, what's nice to me about sort of the smaller scope game movement and the fact that there is this sort of sustainable business model for it is that games don't have to grow beyond that that sort of initial um, size. Uh, and you know, I because I miss games that are are this the you know the size of Civ and SimCity and even things like Populous and Mule and Lords of Conquest. You know, it's it's like those type of games kind of disappeared for a while, and so I'm just excited that games like that can, are back
1: now. I think there's definitely an expectation uh, in terms of what's possible in gaming, uh, <clears throat> and I, I've talked about this in the podcast before about you know verisimilitude and what's what you think is reasonable in a game. And how that colors your expectation of, you know, how accurate or or, 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 you know, how much historical fidelity a game has. And that was certainly the case with with flight sims. I don't know if this is in the flight sim podcast, but um, you know, there was a, sort of this this amazing happy confluence when uh, sort of people's expectations of what was realistic in a flight sim sort of exactly corresponded to um, what was possible to sort of do for a for a casual to sort of uh, serious gamer in in a flight sim without you know having to spend you know take an extra job to to learn how to, to how to fly a plane and um, so I, I definitely think that there's a that there's an expectation uh, that colors your perception and uh, I remember playing uh, Civ the first Civ came out I guess when I just had graduated from college. And uh, played it, uh, you know. I played that thing relentlessly, and it seemed like this huge, uh, huge, um, you know, potential space of imagination. And to be honest, I think it, I think it still is, in the sense that you can create, just like with, like I was mentioning with DefCon before, you can create this huge canvas of, of, uh, of imagination with. Relatively simple rules. At that time, the rules seemed incredibly complex, uh, and of course, now we don't see the original Civ rules as being complex at all. But uh, I think that uh, you can give people a place to sort of go and 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 be uh, an escape to, because games are ultimately that's what games are: is an escape, uh, a really uh, you know a, a really comfortable open space for them to escape without that many complicated rules. If the sort of the scope, the intellectual scope, is big enough.
3: Yeah, I think what Bruce is Bruce is saying is very important because
1: it's kind of back then games were limited
3: in their scope by necessity, you know, as a technical limitation. And I think we're now getting to the time where we're maturing as industry, so we now limit our, our scope on purpose because we feel like that's that's what's the best game for what the designer is trying to accomplish. Um, and you know, I think there's there's sort of a big difference there.
0: You feel now that designers have the choice between asking what can we do versus what should we do yeah definitely all right, so that about does it for our discussion. I know we've barely scratched the surface of of a topic like this, and I hope we can bring get into uh, more of these smaller scope games uh you know in the in the coming weeks and months uh, but as always, uh thanks to everyone for a fantastic discussion uh Bruce and Julian, it was great having you back on the show and it was great having you back as well Soren yeah. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yep. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please uh, remember to retweet and refer us to anyone you think might enjoy it. And uh, as always, uh, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. Hopefully next week we'll be discussing Age of Empires Online, uh, and perhaps, uh, certainly not making any promises for him, but perhaps we can get uh, Mr. Check on to share his rather... I understand it might be a rather incendiary opinion (laughs) on Age of Empires Online. Uh, So tune in for that next week.
1: Does Tom actually think something? (laughs) Ooh. There you go, Chick. (laughs) We're bringing
0: it next week. All right, that'll do it for our show tonight. Good night, everybody. Thanks, guys. Insert rap music here. (laughs) Insert
2: rap music here. Right.